Good morning, church. This morning we're going to be continuing our study of 1 Peter. I'll be reading 1 Peter chapter 4, the whole thing. Starting in verse 1, chapter 4 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's, Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that um, as, as crazy as the world we live in is now, as messed up as our country uh, seems to be growing more and more every day, we are grateful that we can still gather together to study your word and to worship you and to sing praises to you. Uh, this is just an amazing blessing. It's a blessing, Lord, that we have taken for granted for far too long, and I believe that COVID probably showed us how important it is that we gather together. Lord, I thank you 
that we can do this here today. And I, I believe, Father, that persecution is coming upon the church in the U.S. I believe that the times are going to get darker before they get better. But, Lord, in the midst of all of this, we pray for our leaders, for our federal government, for judges and, and governors and senators across the country and here in our state of Idaho, that your word would dwell in them and that they would uh, recognize the error of their ways and turn from them. Father, I pray as we receive your message today that you anoint Jackie, that he would speak words that come only from you and that we would be willing listeners, people who would hear the word and not just take it in, but then leave this place and do it. And so, Father, we thank you again for your many blessings. We thank you for this church and this community. And we seek to praise you and glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. My favorite message during the holiday seasons is about Christian suffering. <laughs> but God knows where we're going to be long before we do, doesn't he? And, you know, this, the idea, there are so many, you know, among us that are suffering with bad health that are suffering because of, of uh, surgeries needed or surgeries that have come. So many that are suffering because of broken marriages, broken families. There is a lot, there's no shortage of suffering. But there is a lot of questions about suffering. We have a lot of questions as believers. Somewhere in our minds we get the idea that coming to Christ would equate with a less suffering. But Jesus never said that. That's not what he taught us. This world that we live in is fallen and broken. And it's filled with fallen and broken people. And the results of sin on this world are the things we see around us. Sickness, Sadness, despair, that wasn't something that never happened to God's people. Read the Psalms. The psalmist was oftentimes filled with despair, depression, crying out to God in dark places, looking for deliverance. The world we're in, that's what it looks like. And that world is built that way or made that way because of lies, pride, pleasure, Greed. We, we, you and I, we could, we could walk up to any pond, any, any puddle anywhere and throw a rock in. And we can watch the ripples of that rock go all the way across the pond. Far beyond the place where we threw the rock in. And when we look at that, if we can't understand that our world, sin is that rock thrown into the creation that God brought, has brought forth ripples of 
just bad things. Sorrow, sadness, brokenness. People treat one another poorly. People break promises. You know, and all of those ripples, one after another after another. It's, it's really more like a giant uh, dump truck is being dropped into the middle of the pond. All the people around the world sinning and casting stones. That's the world we live in. That's why the scripture says, listen, don't find it strange when you find yourself in suffering. Because that's what this world is. And this world will be wholly redeemed when we see Jesus. When he puts his feet on earth. There will be a redemption. You can read about it in the book of Isaiah. It's amazing. The beauty that God describes, the peace, the tranquility when the king comes. But until that time, Peter told us, we are exiles, refugees in a strange land. In a place where everywhere you turn, you have ripples colliding with one another and creating things that you and I can't even put all the pieces together. All we're left with is questions. Our questions sound like this. Why? And all around us we see that storm brewing. And it was like that from the beginning. From the beginning. There were two brothers. Both were religious men. One man, his religion was beyond just a set of rules. His religion was was a submission totally to the Lord. Cain and Abel both brought sacrifices to God. And Abel's was pleasing. And Cain's was not. Cain came with whatever was in his heart, whatever his trouble was. I'll tell you from my own experience... Part of the problem with Cain was he was bitter toward his brother. And you say, well, what's what bitterness? It's just a little thing, isn't it? How you guys know how that story ends, right? Between brothers? First John three, verse twelve says, We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder his brother? Because his deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. In our world, as refugees and exiles, we exist in a world where all around us the deeds are evil. And as a believer walking in righteousness, you are going to stick out. And things are going to stick to you. Jesus would say in John 16, verse 33, he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Where is our peace? In Christ. He, he clarifies it so we don't think our peace is going to be in the world. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome. The Lord is describing to us where our peace is found. Now look, 
He never told us that there won't be turmoil, there won't be storms. We saw it in the disciples' lives, right? They're following Jesus, they're going with him. There were still storms out on the, on the water, right? And they were pretty sure they were all going to die. Yeah? And they were looking around for Jesus and they're like, Lord, don't you care? That, you remember that's what they said? Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? Do you ever say those words? Lord, don't you care? I'm perishing. I'm drowning. I'm in blackness. I don't know how to get out. I don't know what to do next. I don't know why these things are happening. Whatever things might be going on. The Bible says Jesus came to the top of the boat and he rebuked the waves. It's the same word used when Jesus rebukes demons. Because this creation is stained by sin. Now, God is able with a, with a word to say, peace be still. And what happens? The waves obey. Because who's the creator? He is. He is able. But there were things that were necessary for the disciples in the storm. So God allows the storm. First Peter begins with this phrase, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't be surprised. And every time I, I will say this, there is one common denominator in all of us believers when we're in a fiery trial. We're always surprised. We are always surprised what's going on. We don't comprehend or understand. But most of the time, that's because we, we don't have a right view of our world. For us, that view is, is a little bit flipped. We look around the world and we see all the good and all the beauty and all the majesty. But all God sees when he looks at the world is the brokenness and the stain of sin and the, the varied and myriad ripples going across all of creation. And we don't believe what God said. He said, in me you'll have peace. Peace for the storm. Peace for the struggle. Peace for our suffering. Peace for the persecution. It's in him. I've often wondered because... In the early church, when the Roman persecution was coming against them, and they were taking Christians and lighting them as candles on the road. So they would take them and turn a human being into a candle, light them on fire, and that human being was the light when people would walk by. And the world didn't think that strange. I wonder how it was that when Christians would be gathered up and, and brought into the place where Men, women, and their children were about to face the lions. I wondered how it was that they would sing. But they believed the words Jesus said, in me you'll have peace. And the only thing this world can do to you is take your life. And in Christ, when that happens, that is a doorway to his presence. 
And that's not, that is crossing the finish line. That's not failure. But we don't have our father's eyes. We have our eyes. I remember when I was young, when I was Hannah's age, and I'd hear a preacher talk about this stuff, and I'd say, well, of course you say that. You're old. (laughs) There's a lot of things I want to do. I want to climb the highest mountain and swim the deepest sea, right? I want, to, I want to conquer all of these dragons that the world has. And in my youth, in, in pursuing all of those things, I learned I, I'm still no stranger to suffering, and Christ is the prize. Reaching the highest mountain left me still empty. Swimming that deepest sea, was, it was great and it was challenging, but I was empty. Christ is that which fulfills me. He is that place wherein all of these things come together. Listen, when he describes this, do not be surprised by the fiery trial you think he uses that language just haphazardly one of my one of my struggles i have had this conversation with with many people one of my struggles sometimes not all the time probably not as much as some of you guys but sometimes my struggle with with current worship and trends in worship is we're lazy with our lyrics and we shouldn't be. Because when we're, when we're writing that song or we're singing praises to God, he has great value, doesn't he? And we should be, we should be accurate or, or at least make the attempt. I'm not saying you can't be poetic, but we should be accurate. We should think about the things that we say and what we, what we do about the Lord. And when Peter writes us, he chooses this word for a reason. Fiery trial. If you say the word fiery trial and you've read your Bible ever, there should be a fiery trial that comes to mind. Rack, Shack, and Benny. VeggieTales did a great job. Their names are much easier to say now. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we we read about them in Daniel. In fact, we're studying Daniel on Wednesday nights. (coughs) And... We haven't got to chapter 3 yet. Surprise, surprise. But <clears throat> we, we should be thinking about these trials. And what was the point? Don't be surprised. Because your choice to follow Christ puts you on a collision course with a world in rebellion against him. And I don't just mean a world system or political powers. I mean cosmically the world is in rebellion against God. That's what sin has done. And so we, we look at it, and the Lord says, look, you're exiles, you're refugees, strangers in a strange land, that you're my ambassador, you're the lights that I'm sending into the darkness, all of these words that the Lord uses to, to challenge us. He wants us to recognize and consider we are in a cultural war, and you should be able to see that all the more as we watch the TV 1 Peter 3.14 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So 
have no fear of them. Now, that goes for the people who persecute you or the illness that persecutes you or the sickness that has laid you down or the sorrow that you can't escape because all of those enemies are the same. Jesus rebuked the waves and the demons with the same word. It's all the same. It's all related to the fall and to sin and to the destruction that is all around us in the cosmos. And while this destruction is beautiful, we can see pictures of beautiful places, it can't even begin to compare with what we'll see when Jesus Christ reigns. What would it be like to never be depressed again? What would it be like to never be sick or to never struggle with your temper or to never lose patience? What would it be like if all the ripples in the cosmos were gone? Because Jesus is king. That's glory. Timothy says, indeed, all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. Stop thinking of it in terms of the government's out to get me. Yes, let's settle that once and for all. They're out to get you. Okay, let's move on. The government is out to get you, and so is everything else in the world that's in turmoil or disobedience to Christ. So if you're going to walk with Jesus, all of those forces are out there. The fallen government and fallen man and, and fallen nature, all of those things. So he says, you will suffer persecution. Jesus writes in John 15, verse 20, remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. There's unity, or there is supposed to be unity within the family of God, the community of God, who are submitted to following Christ, to recognizing his lordship in the cosmos, and then walking in obedience to him, which will immediately put you at odds with everything else. That's what it does. Matthew 10, Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Have no fear of them. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So listen to what he says. He says, look, this is how it's going to be. These struggles are going to happen. Don't be afraid of them. Now, let's be honest. How many of us right now are afraid of all the stuff that is circling around us? There's nobody wants to raise their hand. I know who you are. You call me. I'm going to start calling all you people out. We're in church. Listen, don't be afraid. There's only one being in the cosmos that is worthy of our fear and that is God 
Nothing else is worthy it. When we fear something else, we are bowing the knee to something that is not worthy of your submission. When the Bible talks about fear, it's the idea of the fear someone would have when they stood before the king. And when we fear our illness, our sickness, our struggle, our the persecution that comes from the government, whatever things are out there, when we fear that, it's like you're bowing the knee to a foreign king. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced that, the most powerful man in the whole universe at the time, and the king said, look, if you don't do what I tell you, I'm going to throw you in the fire. They said, I don't care. Listen to what they said. They said, the king said, who could save you from me? Now I want you to hear that. The, the illness you're struggling with, the cancer, the fear over platelets, the struggle with the loss of a loved one. I want you to hear that thing, that, that situation saying to you, who can save you from my hand? That's what Nebuchadnezzar said to those three boys. And those three boys said, our God is able to save us, but even if he won't, we won't bow. When you fear those things, you are bowing to the wrong being. They're not worthy of your fear. Christ is. So we bow the knee to him and no other. They are not worthy of our fear. When the writer here, Peter says this fiery ordeal, he's picturing a refiner's fire. The way in which gold and silver is refined and purified. Because that's how God views the struggles we have. We view them as life-altering, I can't survive, I can't see my way through it, I don't know what to do. That's how we feel in the midst of it. Just like the disciples running to Jesus and saying, don't you care, we're perishing. But Jesus knows his disciples are learning to keep rowing even in the storm. And the next storm that comes, you don't hear that from the disciples again. The next storm, you see the disciples rowing in the waves. They just keep rowing. And they see Jesus walking on the water. Because in the storm, who's with you? In the fire, who's with you? In the doctor's office, who's with you? At the funeral home, who's with you? He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He is with me. Psalm 66:10 says, "For you, O God, have tested us and tried us as silver is tried." What the chaos of the world intends to disrupt and destroy, God intends for your good and his glory. You remember the story of Joseph, right? The, the, the Bible is rife with examples. 
You remember the story of Joseph. Joseph looked at the brothers who sold him into slavery and wished that he was dead. The brothers that did that to them, he looked at them and said, what you meant for evil, God meant for to save a nation. A nation was saved when 11 wicked brothers, 10 wicked brothers, sold their brother into slavery. A nation was saved. You see what I'm saying about the ripples that we can't see? The things we, we don't recognize in the struggles that are around us? 1 Peter 1, Peter wrote this, 1 Peter 1, 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Anybody say amen? Amen. amen. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, Though it is tested by fire, by fire, I don't know what fire is, tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. Do you hear what the Lord said? Your faith is more precious to him than gold. <clears throat> Even the gold that's purified in the fire. Your faith. When does our faith grow? Our faith grows in the midst of the trial. Where did the disciples' faith grow? Did, it, did, the, did the disciples' faith grow when they were sitting around eating all the bread Jesus made? The Bible says they did not understand the lesson of the fish and the loaves. But they understood the lesson of the storm. Funny how that is. Isaiah says that we learn best in the furnace of affliction. I don't know why. It's how we're made. <laughs> right? You know how many times I sat down around a table with my sons and said, listen, if you do this, bad things will happen. And they looked at me like, whatever, Dad. You don't know everything. What a... But you know when they learned? When they're calling me from jail. Dad. Yes, son. Can you come pick me up? Sure, what happened? You break down? No. Why do you need picked up? I got arrested. <laughs> Those lessons are better than dad's lectures. No? We learn in the furnace of affliction, but we also have to remember in the fiery ordeal, as the Lord's refining us and building us, it's all a part of God's plan, right? What, what the universe means for evil, God means for good. Whatever's going on, whatever the wickedness around us, we know in Romans eight twenty eight, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Just like Joseph said. I know people don't like to hear this verse, but too bad. It's in the Bible. I'm sorry, it doesn't comfort you. It should. The next thing we need to understand in that fiery ordeal. He is with you. Isaiah 41.10. If you don't have this on your fridge, you should put it there. 
Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We should read that more often. Isaiah 43 verse 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. They can't do anything to you. All they can do is open up the doorway to the presence of God. That's it. Where there are things you can't even imagine. Don't be afraid of them. Isaiah spoke that before Daniel was taken exile. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 23, it says, These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. And the king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. And he declared to his counselors, Did we not put three men in the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered, But I see four. I see four men unbound. Because you don't go into the fire bound. You are set free in the fire, in the trial. And they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the sun of the God. The appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Here we have... This beautiful picture of Jesus Christ there in the midst of the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have more to do. God's not going to take them in the fire. Other people, they did perish in the fire. Their time was finished. These guys had a witness to deliver, and so they came back. But all were set free. All were surrounded by his presence. Acts chapter 7 Verse 54 says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth. This is Stephen. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he declared, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen's day was done. But he didn't fear the men who were stoning him. He bowed the knee only before God. And so Jesus was standing. The Bible says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. His work is finished. Unless one's coming home. And then he stands to meet them. Because Jude tells us he threw his arms around Stephen and proclaimed him blameless before his father. Which is his great joy. And he brought him into that place of incredible peace. Peter writes in verse 13, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's 
sufferings. Literally, he says, keep on rejoicing. Our suffering means fellowship with Christ. When all the crazy stuff in the world happens, that stuff, the suffering, the persecution, the sickness, the <clears throat> trials we find ourselves in, all of those things equate to fellowship with Christ. It is not a sign of God's displeasure or his hatred toward you. It just means the world is treating you like the world treated him. Romans 5 Verses 3 through 5 says this, not only that, we rejoice in our suffering because we know something. We know that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. It does not disappoint because the love of God is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us because Jesus is with us all the way through the trial. Paul would write in Romans 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We can't see it, but it's there. You see, this world's system does not persecute the ungodly that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed he says rejoice in so much as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed if you are insulted for the name of Christ you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you now look, I'm not saying people in the world don't get sick. Sickness is everywhere, right? The cosmos is not just at war with the believer. The cosmos is just at war with itself. The Bible says all creation is groaning to be set free from the chaos that they are, <coughs> that is encircling it through the revealing of the sons of God. All of creation groans for the day when Jesus will come and stop what we started all those years ago. So it's that part's going everywhere. But the system within the world, the political system, the mankind who has rejected the, the law of Christ, all of these things, they're going to come against. Don't be surprised. That's how it is supposed to be as strangers in a strange land. This is not our home yet. Our king is not here, but our king is coming. Matthew 5.10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you <clears throat> and persecute you and utter all kind of evil falsely to you on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets of old if you desire to walk with God follow him there will be persecution there will be a rebellion against you but he says remember that the spirit 
is with you because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You know, he's quoting from Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11 is a messianic prophecy speaking of the spirit of God being upon the Messiah. Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now, Peter is saying of that, you have the spirit of the Lord resting upon you. The same spirit that was with Christ as he suffered and died for our sins is with you. You've not been abandoned. You are not an orphan. God is there. He is with you. His strength is there. The love of God is poured out in your heart. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, <clears throat> the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Only one place where we ought to be bowing our knee. But Peter says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a meddler. This is what happens. We, we, when the trial comes upon us and we think it's strange and we're surprised by it and we get freaked out and then we say things like, I don't even know why I want to live as a Christian. It's, this is harder. I'll just go back to being a murderer, a thief, a meddler, a busybody. I'm going to do what the world does. I'm going to go at, and act just like fallen man. And the Lord says, don't do that. Don't suffer for doing all of these wicked and evil things. Suffer rather for being the man or woman who says, I only want to say words that will glorify God. I only want to do things that are going to glorify God. I have been at a lot of hospital beds in 25 years. I have sat in a, at a bed in a, in a place where a woman who just got uh, announced she had two weeks to live. And her first words were, I want to glorify Christ in the way I die. I've been in a hospital room where a mom and dad with an infant child. As the doctors feverishly are working to save her life. And they gather together and they say, let's pray that God can be glorified in this. I've been with a father whose young son in his 20s died in a motorcycle wreck and I saw him raise his hands and say God I give you praise for the time you gave me with my son those are examples of people who were not surprised by the fiery trial and who made the choice to glorify God who recognized the spirit of God is with you that's not an uncommon valor for a believer. It's not an uncommon valor. If we have our faith and trust in him, don't suffer for abandoning Christ and jumping into the sin of the world. Reject that life. Follow him. 
trust him. Glorify him with whatever your life has, be it many days or few, be it hard days or happy days. Glorify God with what you have. 1 Peter 1, 7 and 8 says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, now you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We choose who we fear. And we choose who we bow our knee to. Bow your knee to Christ. The reality is, struggles are going to come. No matter what. This is a fallen world. It's broken. It longs for the day when Christ will return. But we want to follow the example of Christ, right? Jesus said, come, follow me. What's that example? He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He just continued trusting his Father. And he says to you and I, come, follow me. No cursing is necessary, no shaking of fists, no anger or frustration. Trust him. He continued entrusting himself <laughs> to him who judges justly. For it is high time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Who is the judge? God's the judge. You the judge? Nope. I know him. That doesn't help me necessarily. I know him. He's just. He's a good judge. He knows what's really righteous. He knows what's really good. He knows what's really going on. When judgment begins, where does it begin? When Jesus came back, where did judgment begin? He went into the temple in his final days on earth prior to the crucifixion. After being rejected, he went to the temple and did what? He cleansed it. He overturned the tables. He said, my father's house should be a house of prayer. Where did judgment begin? Now, where does Paul say the temple is today? Do you not know that your body is the temple of God? Jesus said in John chapter 2, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again. The scripture says this, he spoke about his body. He's the temple. He dwells with us. Where did God dwell? In the temple. Why did judgment begin in the temple? Because that's where God dwelt. So when we, he says, don't consider it strange that fiery trials come they test you god is working out these things 
in his temple first. He's working it out. Bow the knee to God and trust him. For none of these things are for your destruction. Well, look what he says as we continue to read. The judgment begins in the house of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome of those who disobey the gospel be? What's the outcome for you? If judgment begins with you, what's the outcome for you? He says in the next verse, he says in the next verse, if the righteous is scarcely saved, now don't focus on the word scarcely, you should be able to figure that out by yourself, right? Is there some particular thing in you that, that God owes you salvation? No. But he gives it from his grace. You didn't earn it. You don't accomplish it on your own. But you are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man would boast. So we have salvation. So when judgment begins in the house of God, what's the result? It's not damnation. What is it? Salvation. Salvation. So we arrive at salvation. We experience salvation. What about the ungodly? What about those who have rejected the Lord? What happens to them? There is only one way. Men must be saved. The Lord Jesus commands all men everywhere to repent and believe. And if you have repented and believed, you are the temple of God. And he will begin judgment there. And he will accomplish the purpose of, of building you, making you into who you need to be. Do you remember who Peter was? You realize he wrote a Bible, a book in the Bible. A couple of them. Three. Yeah, ask, ask me later, I'll tell you. <laughs> he is instrumental as a witness to Jesus Christ, but there was a day when a little girl freaked him out and he couldn't hold up. Right? Where he denied he even knew Christ before the cock crowed, you remember? But through all the experiences that Peter had, he became the man who could write a gospel. A gospel? Yeah. John Mark was the pen. Peter was the voice. Uh, two epistles to the church. Countless uh, uh, times he traveled always with the desire that said, oh, Lord, what will I do? C could I, what if I have to stand in front of that little girl again? W what if I have to, everything's against me and I, and I have to proclaim Christ. What will I do? Will I fail you again? You know, that was Peter's biggest fear. That's why Jesus told him in John 21, he said, Peter, the day will come when men are going to take you and clothe you places you don't want to go. They will stretch your arms out. And this he spoke, signifying by which way Peter would glorify God. The point was not, Peter, you're going to have to suffer. The point was, Peter, when the day comes and the Romans stand in front of you and they threaten you, 
and all of the stuff is against you and you feel the pressure of all of this Christ-rejecting world around you, you will stand because I will have strengthened you in the furnace of affliction and you will glorify me how you want to glorify me. That's an awesome picture. There is only hope in the name of Jesus Christ. The unsaved have a present that is controlled by their past. Christians have a present that is controlled by the future. The unsaved have a present that is controlled by their past. Christians have a present that is controlled by the future. There is a king. He will rule. So verse 19 says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Trust God. He is able to deliver. It does not mean we will not weep. It does not mean we will not cry. It does not mean we won't be sorry or sad. But we choose who you bow the knee to. Christ is a worthy king who gives hope, character, endurance, faith, Patience, strength, peace, comfort. What do the things you're currently bowing to promise you? Another sleepless night? More anxiety and anxiousness? Trust Him. He is worthy. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you in accordance with your word, God, we thank you for the blessing of suffering. We thank you that like Peter, you are not leaving us alone, you are not abandoning us, but you continue to work in us and through us, molding and making us into your image. I thank you, God, that you are able to bring something good out of the furnace of affliction. That none of our suffering is random. None of it is just something that didn't matter. All of it mattered. All of it mattered to God. All of it matters for our character. All of it matters in developing you and I into the men and women that God is calling us to be. It's not something to be feared. It's not something to send you to despair or lack of hope 
it is something that will establish you and make you like Christ. I want to be like you, Lord. I want to say things that honor you and do things that honor you. I want to think things that honor you. And I know that for that to occur, there are storms I must endure. But you call me to keep paddling. And even in the midst of the storm, you are with me. Even in the midst of the fire, you are there. The psalmist would declare, where can I go from your presence, Lord? If I make my bed on the highest heights or the lowest lows, in the depths of the ocean or in the depths of the grave, there's nowhere for me to go that you are not with me. So God, I pray that you would strengthen your church and she would bow her knee to you not fear anything else she would put her hope in you and that she would trust in you who judges rightly I pray that you would strengthen us encourage us I pray that you would give us your peace your comfort I pray Lord that you just like you promised through the prophet Isaiah that we would recognize that though, though the floodwaters come, I will not be carried away. Though I feel like I'm beneath the depths of the sea, you are with me, I won't be lost. Though I find myself pushed around by the winds and the waves of this world, you, Lord God, are the anchor that keeps me standing fast. And on the day that you call me home, my great God and Savior will usher me before his Father and declare me perfect. Not because I am, you know me, but because he is. he declares it is his great joy to do so and then Paul declares we can't even begin to compare the glory that we'll have in his presence with the sufferings we have today God help us see life through your eyes and trust you for you have given us grace or times of trouble and you have given us everything we need for you are our good shepherd Lord open our eyes that we might see in Jesus name